from the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School. This is Work and Life on Business Radio. Welcome to Work and Life. So glad you're here to join in on the conversation in which every week we explore all those things related to work and the rest of your life, your family, your community, our society, and your private self, your mind, body, and spirit. I am your host, Stu Friedman. I founded Wharton's Work-Life Integration Project, our leadership program, way back in the day. I uh, run a management consulting, coaching, and training company. It's called Total Leadership. And if you visit totalleadership.org, you can find out about our services and all kinds of free resources that help people and organizations create greater harmony and improve performance in all the different parts of their lives. So check that out, totalleadership.org. And if you want to hear new episodes of this show, as you know, it's uh, fresh at Thursdays, 5 p.m. Eastern here on Sirius XM channel 132. And um, thereafter, you can find free podcast versions at totalleadership.org. You can follow us on Twitter at SXMBusiness. I'm at Stu Friedman. Well, the coronavirus pandemic and all kinds of other disruptions in our world uh, have turned home and work life around for all of us. Uh, So much uncertainty these days and a lot of reassessment of what's important, what are our values, our priorities uh, for us as individuals and for our businesses. One of the things that we emphasize in the total leadership approach to, lead, to leading from the perspective of the whole person is the idea of accounting for the interests of all the stakeholders in your life, not just at work, but also your family, your community and friends and yourself who you are as an individual, your mind, body, and spirit, and sustainable change happens for leaders who take account of, first and foremost, their values, their vision of the better world they want to create, and and bringing others along with them by addressing the needs and interests, the legitimate needs and interests of all the people who matter in their lives. That's how you create sustainable change. Well, it's the same for organizations, and of course, it's the same for societies. And today, we're going to be speaking with one of the world's leading experts on that kind of thinking and how it is blossoming in our world in uh in in the corporate in in the corporate environment and what that means for the people who are affected by those corporations which of course is all of us businesses he says have an opportunity here to think about doing things differently as they reopen and rebuild so i'm delighted to welcome professor christopher marquis to the program. He is the author of a really important and highly accessible new book. It's called Better Business, How the B Corp is Remaking Capitalism. Chris, welcome to Work and Life. Thanks, Sue, for having me. Wonderful to be here. It's great to be here. Let me just tell listeners a little bit more about you. There's a ton I could say, but I I just want to give a bit of background here so they know a bit more about you. Chris is the Samuel C. Johnson Professor in Global Sustainable Enterprise and Professor of Management at Cornell University. His current teaching and research is broadly focused on the two areas of social innovation and change and doing business in China. Uh, he's, he's been around. Prior to joining Cornell, he worked for 10 years at the Harvard Business School and held visiting positions at Harvard's Kennedy School, Hong Kong University of Science and Technology, and a number of other universities in China. He received his PhD in sociology and business administration from the University of Michigan, which is, of course, where I have my PhD. So we are brothers in that sense. Uh, welcome, Chris. It's great to have you here. Great. Thanks again. All right. Let's, let's first define what a B Corp is, because not everybody knows. What is a B Corp? Sure thing. So a B Corp is a business that is certified for its social and environmental performance. So there's a, a nonprofit called B-Lab and they conduct this certification. So, you know, you can think about it like fair trade, organic, lead certified buildings. Mm-hmm. Those are certifications for certain products or services. The B Corp certification so is the only- And buildings being- Right, 
designed in ways that meet certain standards, evaluated by some external independent agency that says you have met these standards. Exactly, exactly. And so the B Corp is uh, for companies. So it's the only certification that, that sort of measures, assesses, and then certifies if the company meets the threshold uh, a, a, as a B Corporation. And what are the primary criteria that a company has to, uh, has to demonstrate um, uh, mastery of? Sure. So there's, uh, you know, and again, it focuses around stakeholders, as you mentioned, one of the things that you, you focus on your, in your podcast as well. So across the categories of workers, communities, uh, customers, environment, and governance, you know, there's a series of, of questions that the companies have to answer. And it's tailored based on, you know, their industry, their geography, because it's a global movement, also the size of the company. So just very simply, you know, carbon emissions, um, per percentage of gender uh, balance in the executive ranks, et cetera. So uh, there's about 200, 250 of these questions. The companies then have to go through a verification process where B-Lab checks a certain percentage of the questions uh, before they're certified. So what was interesting in the list of stakeholders that you mentioned is that shareholders were not mentioned. Can you say more about you know, the uh, historical uh, context here? It's, it's big, large, and complex, I know, but uh, this, really, this model is really a kind of uh, uh, disruption of, or at least a change from the way that markets uh, you know, have typically been viewed, right? Oh, exactly. And I, and I will say that you know, under the governance uh, category, mm -hmm. there are questions that relate to ownership. You know, we have to remember that like shareholder ownership is just a very, very small portion of the companies in our, in our world. You know, if you look at the, you know, big exchanges, the NASDAQ and the New York Stock Exchange in the US, I mean, the number of companies that are publicly traded and have, you know, dispersed shareholders has been dramatically declining over the past 15 to 20 years. I think there's maybe three or 4,000 of those companies compared to the millions of other companies uh, in the US and way more than that around the globe. So, you know, companies could be you know, owned by shareholders. You know, they, they could have investors like private investors like venture capital or PE firms. They could be owned by families, uh, another very common one. They could be owned for instance by Suppliers. So Cabot Cheese, you know, the well-known sort of cheddar cheese is actually a cooperative owned by the suppliers, the farmers that actually supply. Up in Vermont. Milk. I've been there. Up in Vermont. Exactly. Uh, it's a another fantastic big, place. And yeah, fantastic cheddar place. cheese. So totally. shout out to Cabot. Yes. Shout out to Cabot. Definitely. Uh, and definitely for, you know, having this really unique ownership model. Uh, employee ownership is another model that is really, you know, surprisingly important. So things, you know, companies like King Arthur Flower, also actually in Vermont, uh, is, uh, you know, from 1790, very progressive, doing really, uh, company doing really well now with the baking boom during COVID. Mm. Uh, they're owned by their employees. Uh, mm. uh, New, New Belgium Brewing, one of the largest uh, sort of independent brewers in, in the country, uh, until recently was owned by its employees, was purchased by Kirin. Uh, the large Japanese uh, company recently, but there's a lot of employee-owned companies as well. So, course, you know, when you ask about shareholders, you know, first want to say that, you know, this is, you know, that's just one sort of flavor of ownership, and they do capture ownership under governance. Uh, and where you get points is how equ equitable, in some ways, the ownership would be. So, you know, mm -hmm. you get more sort of points to the certification, so to speak, if you are employee-owned, supplier-owned, uh, than if you were to be, let's say, owned by, you know, PEVC firms. I see. And, and the rationale behind that uh, weighting of those factors is what? So I'd say a couple things is, I, you know, and again, I'm, I, I'm not the person that design, designed this, so I don't want to sort of necessarily put words in their mouth, but, but uh -huh. my, uh, what, what I, would, I would say from my, my research is that you know, there's an idea that, you know, if you are owned by PEVC firms, for instance. Private equity, you know, venture capital. Exactly. You're, you're just, sorry for all the, the terminology. It's okay. It's uh, a, these are common terms. I just like yeah. to, 
I like to right. make it simple so that I can understand it. Yeah. Even <laughs> if the company maybe have, has a really great social mission, mm-hmm. still through the ownership, it's contributing to you know, the economic inequality in our society because you know, the, the greater proportion of the gains of the company are going to you know, the limited partners of, and the general partners of the PE or VC firm. Uh, whereas if it's employee owned, you know, the ownership is going, or excuse me, the, the economic benefit is going to a much more diverse uh, and distributed set, set of people. For instance, you know, I mentioned New Belgium Brewing. So, you know, when they sold to, to, uh, to Kieran, uh, you know, I think, you know, the average payout to employees was over $100,000 each. That's a big deal. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and so the, the essential idea behind the rise of the B Corp is is a a, a, more, a more fair capitalism? Is that a is that a reasonable way to capture it? Or is, or how I th- I, yeah, so I think that's definitely I'd say yeah, more fair, more equitable, uh, more sustainable too. I think it's something that is you know sustainability from an environmental sense. Obviously, environment is one of their categories, but then also sustainable from just a business standpoint as well. So some other researchers, not myself, have done some analysis of comparing B corps. Uh, you know, to, to similar peers that are sort of founded in the same industry mm-hmm. uh, and time and find that actually, you know, the B Corps are much less likely to go out of business. So it's a more sustainable model. And, you know, you might be familiar with Larry Fink, the CEO and, fo- and founder of BlackRock, the global investment giants. And he's been over the last number of years writing letters to CEOs saying, you know, the most recent one was companies should be more focused on sustainability. And, and his argument is actually, I think, would under, you know, the same logic underlies these findings about B Corps that, you know, if you're focused on sort of purpose and sustainability, the business is probably more oriented to the long run and more uh, oriented to managing risk. Uh, and as a result is more sort of long-term sustainable. So I think that's, you know, the logic of those findings, I think, fit well with Larry Fink's argument. And that raised a lot of uh, interest. I mean, it, it really was a catalyst for much further uh, conversation about the value of investing in sustainable businesses. And, and I'm sure that that helped uh, to, to uh, augment the um, interest that people have in, in B Corps. Let me just remind listeners, this is Work and Life on Business Radio, Sirius XM 132. I'm your host, Stu Friedman. I have the pleasure today of speaking with Cornell University professor, Chris Marquis. He's the author of Better Business, How the B Corp Movement is Remaking Capitalism. Uh, <clears throat> I, there's so many more things I wanna find out about why this movement is happening and the impact that it's having. Can you give us just like 30 seconds on how you got into it? Was, was there something that happened when you were like a teenager or something where you realized, wow, this is wrong. I got to fix this. Uh, ha, ha, what, what led you to, to your focus on this, on this way of thinking about business in America? And Yeah. Uh, I, you know, it's interesting. I, I can't date it back to my sort of uh, teenage years, but you know, one thing that happened to me that was really sort of salient, and, and maybe you see this in sort of your students and the young folks that you uh, interact with, you know, that there is a real passion among millennials, Gen Z, about purpose in business, you oh, know, yeah. where they want to work, mm-hmm. who they want to buy, buy from. Uh, I was teaching a class uh, probably a little over 10 years ago when I was at Harvard Business School, and broadly speaking, it was on, you know, company social impact, social response, CSR, you know, as, as it was known, still known and known then. Uh, and Corporate one day, responsibility. Yep, course, yep, exactly. One day, a student sort of, sort of challenged me in class and said, you know, why are we studying all these big old companies where maybe they're doing something good, but it's just sort of a tack on to, the, to what they're doing. We're not really considering their underlying business. Mm-hmm. You know, we should be studying B Corps, uh, which are these companies that have social mission at their core. And I must admit, I, I had actually never heard of B Corps at that point. This was 2009. And I went back and sort of in research it, researched it, and then got in touch with the founders of B Lab. There were just a couple hundred B Corps in, in the world at that time, only in the US. Uh, and I went and I wrote the first HBS case study on B Lab, which was published in 2010, sort of as a result of that sort of millennial student probing, prodding me and saying, 
you know, if you want to understand how business does well in society, you should be looking at companies that have a real authentic embedded social mission at their core. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and how many now are, are uh, cert- sure, certified? St- still, still, I think a relatively small number. So there are, uh, you know, about 3,500. Uh, and these are, you know, just a lot of companies that people know. I mean, you know, the sort of well-known social impact companies like Patagonia, Seventh Generation, Ben and Jerry's, you know, also have other innovative startups, you know, Kickstarter, Allbirds, Shoe Firm, Bombas, Socks. Uh, and then, as I mentioned, you know, there's sort of a lot, a lot of old, older companies that you might not think like King Arthur Flower, you know, some um, uh, subsidiaries of large global companies like Athleta, which is a uh, women's uh, yoga athletic wear brand. It's owned by Gap. It's a B Corp. Uh, Eileen Fisher is another example. Uh, so a lot, lot, a lot of companies that, that one would know. So when we have this conversation again, 10 years from now, assuming we have some semblance of, uh, you know, a thriving economy, who knows what the world's going to look like then? Right. What, what's, what's your prediction as to how many B Corps they'll, they'll be? Yeah, I, you know, I don't know. And I, and I must say, you know, the argument of the book is not necessarily that there should be more B Corps, uh, but that more companies should be like B Corps. Okay. Why? And, and, and so that, and that's why I sort of, it's called the B Corp movement. And so, mm. you know, there is, as the, as this movement is developed, I think it's, you know, the focus initially was very much on B Corps, but recently it's maybe the last five years or so, transitioned a little bit to, you know, how can we provide a set of tools and processes to all companies so they can be more stakeholder driven? Mm-hmm. So, you know, you know, in addition to Larry Fink, a sort of well-known um, sort of focus on this, you know, the business roundtable, the group of, you know, 200 or so large American CEOs. Typically last very year, conservative and very much focused on Wall Street. Typically very shareholder focused. You know, last year issued a statement saying for 20 years, we've had our, our statement of purpose for, the, for companies is to be shareholder focused. And we're changing that to stakeholder focused. Mm-hmm. Actually, to think about how a company can be stakeholder focused, it's very easy to say, oh, be more employee focused, be more supplier focused. But actually, the nuts and bolts of how to do that are complex and how to sort of you know, sort of measure, track, assess, weigh one stakeholder to another. Um, and so what I argue in the book is that, you know, these, these processes from the assessment process to the legal form that B Corp, uh, the B Corp folks have pioneered is, is a way, is a playbook, is an on-ramp, so to speak, for all companies to be more stakeholder driven. And is it obvious to... Uh, most companies that this is what must happen for their long-term survival, as well as for their near-term effectiveness in terms of being able to perform well and to, and to attract and, and retain the best people? Uh, or is there still, you know, the, the dominant ideology of, of, of American capitalism uh, that, uh, you know, that, that the primary business of business is uh, profit. Yeah, I think that you're, you know, exactly right. I think this is still, uh, you know, swimming against the tide in, in some ways. I think that there, you know, it's it's hard. You know, social institutional change is hard. I mean, you have, you know, everything from, you know, laws. So the laws in our country are oriented around shareholder primacy. You know, even in people's minds, you know, uh, I, I, when I talk to people, you know, I'm surprised how this idea, ideology that shareholders should be first has pervaded our, our culture. Uh, and so it that surprises is. surprises you? How, how virulent people <laughs> are in, in supporting this. I mean, you would think they were sort of. You would think. Yeah, yeah Gordon Gecko from, you know, the, 80, the 1980s movie. Uh, I remember him. Greed yeah. is good. Greed is good. Yeah, this yes. is. Uh, yeah. Well, so, but I mean, I'm surprised that you're surprised because, uh, yeah. you know, that's just what we know, certainly from the last few decades. Um, right. and, and, and I would expect that there'd be 
you know, a greater awakening and, you know, understanding of how uh, a sustainable model is a smart model. So if, if we were to talk to people at ExxonMobil, I'm just picking an example. Right. Um, what would they tell us? What would they tell you? What have they told you if you've spoken to them about this approach? Because I'm, I'm sure they've been thinking about it. Certainly all their public relations is geared towards this kind of mindset with respect to environmental impact. Right. Yeah, that's a good question. So I've not spoken to ExxonMobil. Uh, you know, I mean, it's interesting because the, the business model they have is so oriented around fossil fuels yeah. Um, you know, I'd hope, I'd hope, which is, you know, in some ways, by definition, an unsustainable industry. So, yes. you know, so I, I, you know, it's hard for me to think that they would, you know, think, think about ways of, you know, really, you know, transitioning their, their entire business model. I mean, they might be investing in renewables, uh, you know, I, I'm not sure. Yes. Uh, but, you know, BP, they're, you know, one of their large competitors. Yep. You probably remember, you know, 10, 15 years ago, you know, they were actively trying to claim they were sort of BP stood for Beyond Petroleum and, and they, you know, changed their logo to making it, you know, sort of some green and yellow, you know, sunflowers, sunflowers type of thing, uh, and really tried to position themselves as sort of the green, you know, against ExxonMobil, who had had, you know, the Exxon Valdez situation, uh, and, you know, we're BP, and then actually they had the Deepwater Horizon disaster, which actually, and then sort of uncovered through that, that, that actually their internal processes didn't necessarily match their external processes. So, mm-hmm. you know, you know, their external communication. So this idea of greenwashing, which I'm sure you, you've heard of where companies communicate that they are, you know, sort of green, socially responsible, environmentally responsible, but actually what they're doing inside the firm and actually they're, you know, is not the same, yes. I think is, is something to always be on the lookout for. And, and it's one reason why I, I really advocate the B Corp model because it is, you know, companies are sort of, you know, assessed and verified. So it, that it cuts through the bullshit you're saying. Cuts okay. through the bullshit. And, and you, and, you know, I think that conscious consumerism is on the uptake. And I think that millennials are driving that. Yep. But, but I also think that it's hard to tell which companies are the real deal. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, looking for the B logo is a way for, for people to tell this, this is actually the real deal. So mm-hmm. uh, that's a, that's something that's useful about it. And it's, it's a kind of seal of approval that, right. that this is genuinely uh, an organization, a company that is, uh, acting and making decisions and investments in ways that are designed to uh, grow, not just profit, but society and the planet yep. uh, and, and, and all of its inhabitants, uh, which is still something that you have found. And I'm really curious about this is, is an idea that hasn't fully taken hold. And you can imagine a lot of resistance to this. Right. Uh, about 20 years ago, I was on leave from Wharton when I was the head of leadership development for Ford Motor Company. I did that for a few years. And uh, Bill Ford, uh, who I'm sure you know about, is a, uh, you know, has his whole life been a uh, a real advocate for environmental conservation, while also being, you know, the scion of Bridgestone, Firestone, and Motor Company. Uh, you know, two of the leading companies that have been, you know, the symbols, the iconic symbols of, you know, the destruction of the environment. Right. Uh, so he's carried a lot of weight in that. And he tried and still works to to bring a different mindset yeah. and a different set of decision parameters for what that company could be and what other companies should be. But so much resistance because as you say of all these institutional structures and and you know what's been built up over time is it possible in other words for the for the big traditional companies to adopt the b corp model or or the the, you know the key elements of it which what you're trying i think to help make happen with better business yeah so i think that it's possible for some you know it's you know and i think certainly you need leadership from the top so it's great that you know i mean bill ford i followed his you know, journey at Ford for a long time. He's been a real inspiration. You know, just, you know, when I was doing my PhD at Michigan, 
you know, mm -hmm. sometimes I would see him actually shopping like in Whole Foods and it's sort of like, wow, <laughs> the CEO of Ford is shopping himself in Whole Foods. That says mm -hmm. a lot, you know, it's so, uh, yes, yes, it does. So, yeah. Uh, but anyways, there has been a movement of these large companies, uh, you know, there's still ones though that have in some ways deep social uh, ideology in the, in, you know, at the core, like Danone, for instance, at $30 billion from Paris, mm -hmm. uh, you know, health and nutrition, um, you know, dairy company uh, has, has, has joined, has really joined the movement in a powerful way uh, and, and certified a number of its subsidiaries uh, and is committed to becoming the first, you know, large giant multinational uh, certified uh, Unilever, another example, you know, exists in 180 countries and has, you know, scores of uh, businesses. So there, there are a lot of large companies that are starting to join this movement. Those are the two that are really, um, you know, and they're, they're European, which, you know, they're, so they're not. Not surprising. Know, not surprising. I think that, you know, an issue, and I, and, I, and I don't remember the ownership of Ford anymore. I mean, I know for a long time it was very much family controlled, but, you know, I think an issue with U.S. firms is is Wall Street, mm -hmm. and it again where it gets back to the shareholder primacy that you know having to to sort of be the slave of the of the quarterly earnings is makes it a challenge for for companies. And so companies from, for instance, Europe or or even South America, there's a lot of leading mm -hmm. companies. Another a large company, I think after its merger, it'll be about ten billion mergers. It'll be a ten billion dollar company. So Natura which is a cosmetics company from Brazil, uh, owns, uh, recently bought the body shop, which you're, you're probably familiar with, sort of, I think it's sure. out of the UK, mm -hmm. uh, and more, most recently bought Avon. Uh, and so it is integrating Avon, which it has a tradition, more traditional, yep. uh, non sort of social impact model. But interestingly, the Natura model is also an Avon model where it's, you know, they, sort of train and motivate these individual women entrepreneurs that then go and sell to their friends. So I think they're, you know, looking at that Avon purchase as a way to really expand their social impact to a new uh, set of folks. Chris, we need to take a short break here. Um, when we come back, I want to dive into uh, what our current uh, crises in America mean for the B Corp movement, particularly sure. with respect to the reckoning around racial justice, uh, the pandemic and the political turmoil sure. uh, that that surrounds us uh, on, on top of climate change yep. and uh, everything else. Uh, so we'll we'll tackle all that and more when we return. Now, not all of that, Great. but 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 you have some important things to say about how the B Corp movement uh, in your book Better Business can help us understand what's happening now and what to do about it. So. Uh, Stay with us. I'll be continuing my conversation with Professor Christopher Marquis, author of Better Business, when we return. I am Stu Friedman. This is Work and Life on Business Radio, Sirius XM 132. You stay with us, please. We'll be right back. You're listening to Work and Life on Business Radio. Welcome back to Work and Life. So glad you're here. I am your host, Stu Friedman. And my guest today is Professor Christopher Marquis. He's the author of the new book, Better Business, How the B Corp Movement is Remaking Capitalism. Chris is the Samuel C. Johnson Professor in Global Sustainable Enterprise. He's Professor of Management at Cornell University. Chris, um, Better Business and the, the B Corp Movement, uh, what does it, you, you didn't write it for um, a pandemic uh, world in which the the reckoning on racial injustice and policing and housing and uh, healthcare, how, how the environment, well, you probably were thinking a lot about the environment when you put this together and, and got into really being leading expert on B Corps. But what does the, the basic ideas and, and uh, tools for action in better business say about the world as you see it right now? Yeah, sure. So I think that one thing that, um, you know, well, it says a number of things, I guess. Uh, so one thing, I mean, you mentioned that is very salient and very clear, um, you know, you mentioned the reckoning around systemic racism. Um, and this is something where, you know, many of the B Corps 
uh, have been very sort of outspoken and pushing for legislation, better uh, sort of access and um, employment opportunities for people of color. Uh, so I think that sort of one thing that, you know, I think that the B Corp model is a real example for companies that want to actually integrate, uh, you know, diversity, inclusion, uh, et cetera, into their business now that they are hopefully coming to realize that, you know, the systems in our world over the past hundreds of years have really been, you know, sort of biased in a way that's, that's treated a big subset of our population in a bad way. So I think that, you know, that sort of one thing just as an example of practices that can integrate uh, uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion more effectively, because it's something that has been a huge um, focus of the, of the B Corp community for a long time. You mentioned earlier that one of the measures of, of equity um, in this sense was gender, you know, uh, yep. representation of women, um, <clears throat> perhaps non-binary as well, on, yep. on boards or in executive roles. Is there also a measure uh, that looks at um, people of color? Yeah, definitely. So this is something that, you know, and this is something that has been a real focus of B-Lab and the B-Corp community. So for the last three years, they've had, um, trying to think of the, I am not, the, the exact name that's not coming to, to mind. It's something like the Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Challenge. Mm -hmm. And they have, sort of thrown down the gauntlet uh, to all of the businesses as B Corps to improve themselves along a list of, I think, you know, 20 to 30 metrics related to, you know, diversity, equity, and inclusion. And now I know that the typical term people use is JEDI, the justice, equity, uh, diversity, and in inclusion, but, you know, it's, it was uh, the sort of the DEI uh, mm -hmm. back then. So the diversity, equity, inclusion challenge is something that, you know, B-Lab and B-Corps have been focused on, you know, for quite a while. And it's le led to many of these companies becoming, you know, leaders. If you look... Um, yeah, I was going to ask for an example or two, if you've got one. Sure. So, so I, I think of two sort of unique examples. Uh, and there was a Wall Street Journal article. I mean, I've talked to both these companies in depth, but there was a Wall Street Journal article maybe, maybe a month or two ago about, you know, business and you know, dealing with racial injustice. Yeah. And two of the three companies were, were well-known B Corps. One is Ben and Jerry's, mm -hmm. uh, you know, which you would not necessarily think of initially as a, you know, uh, a, a company that's actively fighting systemic racism. I mean, they're, you know, v Vermont, which is not a super diverse state is where they're founded and founded by, you know, two, I'm not sure how old they are, maybe 70s or so, um, uh, white guys, but yes. they are Jewish guys from Long Island, I think. Right. Yeah, exactly. So, but they are one of the most sort of outspoken and active uh, companies on, on this issue. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, they've, they pushed forward a variety of legislation, you know, obviously, you know, policies in their, in their company, uh, you know, they've drawn attention to the issue uh, by, you know, a number of their flavors actually are focused on, you know, raising awareness around uh, particularly racial injustice and the money in sort of the money earned goes to a variety of NGOs. Uh, so that's sort of a company that is really great at, you know, directing attention to the issue through sort of, you know, policy advocacy and just through its products, you know, trying to raise money and awareness. You know, another company, uh, Cascade Engineering, which is a company out of Michigan, uh, not sort of the Ann Arbor, Detroit area, but sort of the west western part of the state, Grand Rapids, and they make uh, sort of injection molding, uh, and they have been very proactive, injected molded plastic injection molded products, uh, like big trash cans or recycling bins, and they've been really active in in hiring diverse workplace and actually pr in promoting uh, and giving a lot of opportunities to you know very diverse set set of people. So this is something that um, is, an, is one example. I'm gonna, at the end of our conversation, I'll ask you for where people can find out more about sure. your work, but also you know, some of these other more current examples. Yep. Um, I, I did wanna explore what the impact of the, the B Corp movement is having on the attraction and retention of people. We talked a bit about that, how, and certainly my research and many other people have observed for years now that 
you know, new entrance to the workforce. And I think this is going to be even greater for the kids who are in high school now, because they are way more uh, politically and socially active than right. their big brothers and sisters who are even just five you know, years older than them, that, that they're going to be looking to, well, save humanity as part of what they do, you know, for their yeah, adult we need lives, it. <laughs> since they're going to have to uh, right. make that fight. Uh, I mean, that's, that seems more and more real to people, young people every day. And it's inspiring to see them mobilizing, uh, you know, to try to do that. Right. What have you observed about, about the B Corp movement in terms of how it affects people's uh, identities and, you know, who they are in, in, the, in society as well as, you know, in their families and in their communities. Yeah, I think, you know, you really um, sort of encapsulated the sort of demographic, some of the demographic opportunities uh, for, for this movement and how it really fits very well with how younger people are thinking about their lives nowadays. Mm -hmm. So, you know, certainly I found this through my students and it's actually one of the reasons why, you know, I really got into this that, you know, wow, this is something that people are so passionate about. And as I've done the research, this is what the companies have told me virtually universally. You know, one quote yep. that really stuck out to me that I, you know, someone recently I was interviewing, uh, CEO, founder of a B Corp. And so she said, you know, someone asked me or she gets asked, you know, frequently, you know, why are you B Corp? What's the big advantage? Yeah. She goes, the biggest advantage is that I never have to look for people uh, because hmm. people never leave, you know, retention rates. And I've studied, you know, yes. scores of B Corps that, you know, if you look across the industries they're in, I mean, their retention rates are way higher than their peers. Hmm. Uh, so people stay at these companies because they have practices that, you know, they, they, they want to be, uh, they, 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 you know, value and it makes them. Well, in addition uh, to know, having the values represent something that is aligned with who they want to be in the world, I, I suspect. Right. Is that right? Exactly. Exactly. Right. Uh, and then uh, along with that is the whole attraction piece of, you know, employee hiring. Yep. So there is a whole set of people it might surprise your uh, listeners, and it sort of surprised me as I got to know about, but, you know, there's job boards on the internet finding, you know, jobs at B Corps. Uh -huh. And again, sort of many of the companies that I talk to say, you know, upwards of 25, 30% of their applicants, you know, what, there's a question on, on the form, the, the uh, sort of application form. And, you know, like, what, what, why are you applying to us? And people say, because you're a B Corp is mm -hmm. like the reason why uh, people are applying. So I think that- from the talent perspective, it's it's huge, and it does dovetail very well with, you know, phenomena that are going or sort of processes that are going on in the world um, on looking for jobs with uh, with values. I, I imagine that there'd be less uh, sort of existential angst uh, associated with being a part of an organization that you believe in your in your bones. You know that it's not just the PR story, but that they're really about um, trying to make the world more just, fair, and sustainable, um, and that that that's got to have uh, a positive impact on one's psychology, one's physical health, as and mental health, uh, as well. Is is there any evidence on that? So I agree with you a hundred percent. I can't think of any. Evidence per se. Um, maybe it's a good thing for either doctoral students at Wharton or or at uh, at Cornell to take a look at. <laughs> All right, perhaps we've spawned something here. Um, let me just remind listeners: this is Work and Life on Business Radio, Sirius XM one thirty two. I'm your host, Stu Friedman. Really glad you're listening. I'm talking with Cornell University professor Christopher Marquis. He's the author of a book that is an important one at this moment. It's called Better Business, How the B Corp Movement is Remaking Capitalism. What's, what's the, the most important message you want people to take away from uh, what you've done uh, in, in compiling this, this story and set of ideas and practices? So is, is it all right if I give you two? Three is cool. Keep, just, okay, but, great. Yes, let's, let's try yeah. two and see. Yeah, yeah, yeah great. Okay. Yeah, just joking around. So I'd say there's, yeah, and it will be one, but for different audiences. So I think from the corporate audience, so if they're companies that are, um, that are reading the CEOs or entrepreneurs, you know, 
that there are ways to step-by-step become more stakeholder driven. Mm -hmm. And this book provides a way, you know, you don't have to go all in. It might seem daunting to be a B Corp. But you don't have to die and become reborn to to make this happen. You can take some Yeah, exactly. There's an incremental method. Incremental method. And, and, you know, it's good to, you know, it's, it's good to start somewhere. And so I think this book provides some, you know, ways to think about how to start from the individual person perspective. The one thing I would ha- I hope people take away is that, you know, your purchases actually mean something. And if we want to make the world a better place, so all of the high school students and, and, and millennials and Gen Z's that we've been talking about, you know, it's all good to, sort of go to work for companies that align your interests, but, you know, think about who you're buying from as well. And, so, and, you know, I think the B Corp is one very simple way to identify companies that are doing well, but, you know, there's a lot of other ways, you know, in your communities, local businesses, um, you know, other, uh, maybe other companies that are, that are doing well uh, that aren't B Corps, but, you know, think about where, where you spend your money, everyone, because, you know, you can make a big difference with that. And how does better business help readers to make more informed choices along the lines that you're describing here? Now, speaking again at the consumer level. Sure. So I think, uh, and it's a little bit abstract, but I think by describing all of the all of the processes and tools that companies have to go through for it to become a B Corp, that it gives readers the confidence that you know, these companies, these set of companies are authentically pursuing mm-hmm. social and environmental missions and objectives. And so we can count on that B logo if, if it's on the product. Trust it and you can invest in it with your own consumer dollars. Yep. What, what's your, like just off the top of your head, you know, one of your favorite, you know, small steps that any company could take. I mean, let's say you're General Freaking Motors. What could they, what could they do, for example? or any company that, that comes to mind? Like what's a, what's a step in the right direction that, that can- Sure. That, that, that and it, yeah, so and this doesn't have to even do with being a B Corp, but it's sort of along those same lines. So I think one of the things that I really learned from this book is sort of the power of measuring and tracking. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, if these companies, they were to say, okay, there's all these frameworks out there. The B impact assessment is one framework. There's a global reporting initiative. Uh, there's the SASB, uh, Sustainable Accounting Standards Board. SASB actually is the framework that that, uh, that Fink uh, talks, Mr. Fink talks about in his letter. Uh, I would say, pick some of these, some of the low, low hanging fruit items in any of these frameworks and say, we're really going to understand how much water our company uses. We're really going to understand gender pay differences in our company. Uh, Any of these metrics that that exist on any of these frameworks. Choose one. Choose one, exactly. Uh, And and understand. And and I found even these very uh, socially driven companies find by going through that, you learn a ton, Mm. uh, both from the social and environmental perspective, but also, you know, how to re- operate your business in, in a more effective way. And so I think, you know, and it creates, you know, cycles of positive change. So let's say for instance, you know, a company comes in and they have, you know, 50 million tons of CO2 one year, you know, in their next year, you know, natu- it's natural for humans to want to improve. So they're going to think, okay, how can we get to, something a little lower next year. So I think, you know, just even going out and finding some of the key metrics and tracking and measuring on them is one thing that all companies can do. So in the, in the current political environment, you've noted that we've got both Biden and Rubio agreeing on a stakeholder model. Uh, right. And, you know, they don't agree on a lot. Why aren't we seeing more, you know, political rhetoric um, and maybe we are, and I'm just not seeing it, uh, on the issue of, you know, creating a, a more sustainable business enterprise as, as a key to our ability to thrive uh, in terms of our national economy. 
Yeah, I think that even though it is surprising how, you know, that there are people on many ends of the spectrum that support this and just broader than that, this idea of benefit corporation laws, um, which is a new type of company that, that the folks at B-Lab also sort of spearheaded changing in a number of different US states and now a number of different countries around the world have adopted the same model. I mean, everyone from, you know, Mike Pence in Indiana, Nikki Haley in South Carolina uh, have, have signed legislation, you know, sort of pass, passing this law, you know, in addition to people obviously like Deval Patrick in, in Massachusetts, you know, some from the more liberals. And so, you know, there is all these indications. I think that still though, there is a deep sort of cultural ideology that, you know, business is about profit. And I think that, you know, if, if, you know, I think that certainly President Trump holds this and would see anything like this as more sort of like socialism. Uh, and, you know, this was a, I mean, Joe Biden talks about it, but it was a big part of Elizabeth Warren's mm -hmm. uh, platform. She had something called the Accountable, um, uh, Accountable Capitalism Act, mm -hmm. which actually was based on the benefit corporation ideas that B-Lab uh, founded. Uh, so I think if she was the nominee, it would become much more center stage. But I think that mm -hmm. that there is is very much a uh, an idea, of a, a set of ideologies that would see this as sort of socialism. But so what's the counter to that? The counter to what? The counter the, to, to the claim that this is socialism, which you know, in many people's minds, is a bad thing. Yeah. So uh, what I would say is that. No, on two levels. So one is, and I think that why, uh, you know, Nikki Haley and Mike Pence signed these laws is that, you know, this is an alternative way to organize. Uh, and companies should have the choice to be able to organize in different ways, however they want. Uh, you know, Elizabeth Warren's, you know, legislation, though, and I would say that I generally agree with her, was much more like, okay, if you're, the, if you're this large, you have to be organized this way. Mm -hmm. Uh, my view on why it's not socialism is that it's uh, much more about, you know, just recognizing that businesses have drawn a lot of resources from their stakeholders, such as their communities, their employees, infrastructure, uh, uh, their infrastructure. And this is a way to actually sort of balance, be balanced and recognize that our economy and world is interdependent. And to try to say, you know, we're just shareholders get everything is, is fundamentally an unfair um, way to do things. I agree with you. <laughs> and <laughs> I think a lot of the people who listen to this show do. And I'm, I'm asking you know, to try to really interrogate the question of what, how to help people who don't see that. Yeah. Um, you know, open their minds to a broader, longer term view on what we're doing to our economy and our world by practicing unsustainably. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's a hard, hard question to answer. I know I it's it, not an easy yeah, question. I, I, I think it is very deeply embedded in people's, yeah. in people's minds and it's sort of changing ideology is very hard. I think that, you know, pointing, pointing to the fact that Marco Rubio, you know, researched and I mean, I assume his staff, you know, researched and wrote a, you know, 40 plus page uh, report on how shareholder primacy is killing America's competitiveness. So, so maybe one way of doing it is take the argument that Marco Rubio is taking. And, you know, this idea of shareholder primacy, what it does is it focuses on companies, you know, returning money to their shareholders you know, through dividends, mm -hmm. buying back stock, because when you buy back stock, it makes the stock that the existing shareholders have, uh, you know, more valuable. Uh, aligning CEO pay with stock price in a very extreme way. And Marco Rubio's argument is that, you know, this has dramatically reduced investment in R&D uh, and in future-oriented mm -hmm. uh, projects in addition to sustainability. So I think that maybe trying to help people understand that actually if you're just focused on shareholders, uh, you know, it's not, it's not all about sort of being sort of green and, 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 and fuzzy, but, but actually it cripples the 
long-term orientation of the company, part of that is innovation, which is really, you know, if you, I mean, I spend a lot of time outside the United States and, and, and particularly in China. And I think the thing that really stands out about America and American businesses is our innovation. And that is what has kept American business at the top of the world business, um, you know, you know, you know, over, 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 over the last, you know, number of decades. And the fact that we're sort of eating our seed corn, so to speak, by giving all the money away to shareholders uh, is one argument that I hope maybe resonates beyond just the liberals. I'm buying it. Uh, okay. and it makes perfect sense to me. And, and in Better Business, you've made this idea and a lot of the practices with some wonderful examples available uh, to to all of us. Uh, so I, I, uh, I hope I hope you all read it. Uh, Chris, uh, thank you so much for joining me on the show today. Uh, let us know now, if you could, what's the best place for listeners to find out more about the book and about your work and maybe about some of the other examples that you refer to in our conversation? Yeah, sure. So, so my website is my name, chrismarquis.com. Uh, you know, there's a lot of information on the That's book. M-A-R-Q-U-I-S. Correct. Thank, thank you. Uh, so that's probably the best place for information about me and B Corps. Uh, yeah, that's about it. Yeah. Thank you so much. Again, really appreciate Great. your being thank, here. Thank you, Stu. And thanks for listening. If uh, there's something you want to hear about more, just uh, write to me, Friedman at Wharton.upen.edu or our station, Business Radio at SiriusXM.com. You can follow the show on, on Twitter, SXM Business. Uh, I am at Stu Friedman. And again, visit totalleadership.org for more information about not only the show, but all the other stuff that we do, including free videos, book chapters, articles, etc. Thank you, Patty Hall, for producing our show and Dion Simpkins for managing the sound. I am Stu Friedman, and you've been listening to Work and Life on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, Sirius XM 132.